0: Scripture reading is Psalm 133, a song of the sense of David. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil of the head coming down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountain of Zion, but there the Lord has commanded the blessings this is the word of the lord thanks be to god once again so glad uh, that you're with us this morning and if you're visiting with us just welcome again uh, my name is gray and we've been in a series where we've been looking at the psalms of ascent that's not a word that most christians are even familiar with but there's actually 15 psalms right in a row, Psalm 120 to 134, that describe the the pilgrimage of the people of God from wherever they lived to Mount Zion, where they would worship. Upwards of three times a year, they would make this journey and would go across and and worship God together on His holy hill, Mount Zion, where the temple of Jerusalem was, and it became a picture uh, for our life with God, our upward ascent of a life with God. That's what we come to this, this text knowing that God himself has come to us in the, in the person of Jesus Christ, and he has ascended the hill of Zion. He has ascended to the heavens and sits at the right hand of the Father. Jesus Christ, now seated, um, is, is interceding for us. And so we have this path before us, this upward life with God that has been fulfilled by Christ himself. And we're coming to the end. This is the next to last psalm. We've been uh, looking at all 15 psalms and we're at Psalm 133 today talking about the importance, the command, the blessing of fellowship, of being together together which I'm preaching to the choir because I'm already preaching to those who have already gathered in fellowship today. But just as a reminder for us, the importance of what it is that we're doing here. And whenever it is that we have a life with God outside of this room with one another, the fellowship of believers is so vital to the upward life of God. That's what we're going to be looking at today. Let's go and ask for his help in prayer before we dive into Psalm 133. Father, we pray again that you would sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. It's a light to our path. It is your very word, your very person. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. So we have your word deep within us because we have been united to Christ. And as we read these words again today, I pray that your spirit would do what you promised he would do who change us, speak to us, move us, sanctify us in the truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I was thinking this week that some of the greatest gifts in life, some of the greatest blessings in life are also obligations. Some of the greatest gifts are also obligations, particularly obligations to be together. I'm part of a, a group of men uh, that meets once a year. Every July, the last weekend of July, we, we fly out from various places where we live. This is a group of guys from college and seminary. And for the past 16 years, we have been meeting every year in July, We call ourselves, it's really dorky, B'nai, which is a Hebrew word, which means sons. So we're the sons, and we meet together every single year. There's pastors, there's philosophers, there's PhDs, there is computer programmers. Um, Twelve to thirteen of us, every single year, fly out to be together. We take turns uh, being on the hot seat, where we share things about our lives, and we pray for one another, and we sing hymns. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing, and it is never convenient to go. Uh, with, with all of the kids that we have, we realize that if, if, if the 13 of us got together with our kids, there would be over 60 people at this gathering, right? There's so many wives and kids to deal with, and we all have to make this commitment to be together. It is now somewhat of an obligation, but it's also a great gift. I think of the, of the 16 times that we've met together, I've missed two of them. And as I think back about missing those, I regret it, even though it seemed like at the time it was the thing to do. Another commitment, family reading. We have, a, we have a pattern of, of reading every single night together as a family, maybe five times a week. Some nights we can't do it, but we read together. We've read Lord of the Rings. We've read uh, Chronicles of Narnia. We've read lots of other books. We read out loud as a family, and it is a commitment. It is an obligation now <laughs> because I can't stop no matter what my uh, day is like, and there are plenty of days when I get down, uh, when I you know sit in the chair at night, and it's 6, 7, eight o'clock at night, and I want nothing more than just to doze or watch TV or do whatever, and then I've got these little voices coming. Is it time to read yet? Is it time to read yet? And it's become an obligation. But of course, this obligation is the sweetest gift to have to ex- these experiences together and the, the love of our family together every evening. It's it's an obligation that has now become a great gift. This idea is really captured in Psalm 133. At the end, in verse 3 here, you see this, that at the end of time, there's this commanded blessing. For there, there is Mount Zion, the, the, the ultimate mountain of God, the city of God, where God's people dwell forever forever there the lord has commanded the blessing namely life forevermore life together at the end of the world is a blessing that god has commanded that he has bent his whole will towards accomplishing ever since the garden and since the fall. So we walked away from God. He is bringing us back to this place where we have life together forever. And he has commanded the blessing of a beautiful eternal life together. That can be seemingly contradictory to us, that God would command a blessing. But he actually tells us throughout this psalm that it's actually good and pleasant for us to live that life now. It's not just forevermore. We're called to live the commanded blessing now. The fellowship. The being of the church together. That includes what we're doing now. It includes worship on Sundays. It also includes the commitment that we have to open up our homes to one another in hospitality. It includes our commitment to small groups and our commitment to um, being in each other's lives. There is an obligation for the people of God, a commandment to us to not neglect those things. But what the psalm is totally focused on is the blessing Of what it produces, there is a commanded blessing here. And as we come to the end of the Psalm of Ascents, really they're coming to the end of their journey. Next week we're going to look at the last Psalm, and it's just a Psalm of Worship. They've arrived at Mount Zion, and they're worshiping. It's three verses long; it's very short. But so you can imagine, in Psalm one thirty-three, the 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 person coming to the outskirts of the city. They've, they've come a long way on their journey, and now they're, they're, they're starting to arrive, and you can imagine them being at the city gates, and then suddenly they see other pilgrims coming in. Other pilgrims are filtering into the city too, to go, all going to Mount Zion, and, and it's like he's reminded, the psalmist is reminded, this is good. This is going to be good. It's going to be good to be together. Here's what I want us to see today. When we obligate ourselves to fellowship, we enjoy its blessings. When we obligate ourselves to fellowship, commanded blessing, we enjoy its blessings. What are its blessings? Three blessings I want to see in this psalm. First, joy. It cultivates joy to be together. Look at verse one with me. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Now the word unity there, it just means together. It's not talking about unity versus disagreement. It's just, you could just say this, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together, when we are in the same place. He's simply saying it's good and pleasant to be in the same place together. Now, good and pleasant. Something can be good, but not necessarily pleasant. Like going to the doctor, right? That's good, not necessarily pleasant. But he says good, it's a good thing. And also, you could translate it delightful. It's delightful to be together. Look at the images that the psalmist used. There are images used elsewhere in Scripture of joy. Joy. He talks about the running over three times. It's like the precious oil on the head, verse 2, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down, there it is again, on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls, it's the same word, which runs down the mountains of Zion. That running over picture is associated with Scripture with joy. It's like the cup that overflows, the the cup that's so full. There's so much abundance. There's so much extra that it goes down the sides. And that's what fellowship is like. He's saying it's like, think about the beard of Aaron, but also think about Mount Hermon. Think about anything that that has so much excess, it runs over. The images that he uses speak to joy. He calls it the, the oil, the precious oil on the head. In Psalm 45, we're told that oil is associated with gladness. There is the oil of gladness. Dew, like the dew on Mount Hermon is associated with a refreshing wash. There's a picture here of of the spa, the oil and the, the water running over the enjoyment of being together. The Bible has a vision for us that life is not meant to be lived alone. In fact, it's the very first thing in God's creation that he calls not good. Everything is good, it was good, it was good, it was not good for man to be alone. Because God has always wanted to create a family, a nation, a people of his own possession whom he would delight in. That's always been his vision. But we're lonely. About half of Americans say that they, this is self-reporting, which has its weaknesses, and maybe it would be a little more rosy than it it should be. But about half of Americans say that they are sometimes or always lonely. 27% of people feel like they belong to an in-group of friends, just 27%. This is what it is like to be in our world. It's not good for man to be alone. It's not good when we don't dwell in unity, but it is good and pleasant when brothers dwell together, when there is a sense of togetherness. This longing has been well-documented. C.S. Lewis talked about in one of his essays, the the inner ring, right? This desire that we have to, to want to be on the inside of things. And he says, this desire is one of the great permanent mainsprings of human action. It's one of the deepest desires, he's saying. One of the deepest desires is to be on the inside. It's why we're drawn to literature that, that highlights this. Wendell Berry, a great famous author, he created a, a fictional town and county in Kentucky. The town is called Port William. And in one of his collection of short stories, That Distant Land, he, he tells the stories of 150 years in this fictional uh, place, Port William, 150 years and all the stories and all their connections. And he calls that connection that is between the families and between the families and the earth, he calls it the membership, the membership of Port William. And, and as we read things like that, we're thinking, I want to be part of the membership. We have Tolkien, the fellowship of the ring. That's why we're drawn to it. It's that there's this journey with others that are similar to us, or very different from us, and there's this, this call to adventure, but it's an adventure together. In the New Testament, this is called koinonia, the fellowship the participation, the membership that we have in Christ and with one another. We're called into a shared life. The word koinonia is the same root as generosity. It's the shared life that we have together. There's joy that comes from being together. And conversely, there is pain from being alone There's a famous psychology study called the Cyberball study where participants were asked to play in a very simple video game. There's three icons on the screen, two that are computer generated and one that is your controller. And all you do is play catch with these three uh, people. So there's two that the computer is doing and and then they throw it to you and you can push one button and it throws to that person. and push another button and it throws to that person. But the computer, unknowing to the participants, has been programmed to include the person in the first part of the game. And then at some point, the two computer players begin throwing the ball back to themselves, back and forth. And they don't include the third participant anymore. And they hooked up people's brains and watched uh, watched the, the regions of the brain light up as this continued to happen, as you continued to feel left out And they saw that the part of the brain that lit up was the same, exact same portion of the brain that lights up when there is pain. In other words, feelings really can be hurt. After the, the game was over, they had participants do a number of different things. One of the things they did was have them rank different foods and how much they wanted to eat certain foods. And those that were left out in the game ranked very high on foods like coffee and soup, anything warm. So chicken soup really is good for the soul when you feel left out. It's painful, but it's joyful to be together. So to be together, as hard as it is, whenever we're together, it cultivates joy, good and pleasant to be together. The second thing that it cultivates is growth. It cultivates growth. The fellowship with believers and with God grows us. Look at verse three with me. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. Now, what is that image talking about? Well, Mount Zion is, uh, is on the edge of the desert, the Judean wilderness that, uh, as we might think about Israel is, it's, it's, it's somewhat similar to Arizona actually. Uh, in, in a way that it's, it's an arid region, but it also has forests in certain areas. And, and so it's a diverse area, but Mount Hermon's right on the edge of the Judean wilderness, and it was a dry mountain. And then periodically throughout the year, there would be this great dew that would settle on top of Mount Hermon, similar to our um, you know, s- storms that come through in the summer. And as you go out, you see, hey, the hills look greener. They used to look red. Now they look green. That's the same thing that this picture is getting at. The dew would settle on top of Mount Hermon, and then suddenly all the vegetation would sprout. There would be growth. And that's what fellowship was like. It's like this refreshing dew to an arid ground. We know this is what it's like when we have a conversation with someone. that stimulates us when we meet someone who... Uh, is, is friendly with us. When we are together in groups and, and we help each other discover the truth, this is the place where we grow. This is the place where we get better at what about following God. This is not the only place where Scripture talks about do being related to spiritual growth. In Deuteronomy 32, He says this. God says, May my teaching drop as the rain. My speech distill as the dew like gentle rain upon the tender grass and like showers upon the herb the rain of God the dew of God is like it's this refreshing growth that comes from the word of God this is what fellowship gives us it's like the dew of Hermon that's what it's like it grows us we need others The Scripture says elsewhere, as iron sharpens iron, it's a great picture as the sparks of two pieces of iron hit together and they shape each other. This is the way that we grow. And so one of the reasons that we don't grow is because of how insular sometimes our lives become, because we cut ourselves off from people. Many of us are still recovering from a long season of of when that was true, when we hid away in our homes and it's It's taking a long time to get back into it, but we know that that's where growth is found. It's actually in moving out and being with others. And just think about what fruit, what fruit could be produced, what what might grow in your life when you avail yourself of the body whenever you can, when you are together in fellowship. It cultivates joy. It cultivates growth. Finally, it cultivates life with God. Fellowship cultivates our life with God. These images in the Psalm they really have a double meaning. There's the oil of gladness, certainly. There is the dew of refreshing and the dew of growth. But there are also significant pictures of God's special action, his special graces his means of grace. We have here the oil, not just of gladness, but the oil of consecration and the dew of the resurrection. Let me explain. We have the oil of the consecration. Look at verse 2. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard of, the, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. Now, that doesn't necessarily sound like a good and pleasant image, if we're honest. It's like that. You know when the, when the oil goes all down your beard? Like that's how good it is. Uh, that, that takes some explaining, all right? What he's saying is, look, it's the oil of consecration, like the, like the dew that comes on Mount Hermon. See the picture of the head of the mountain? So, so the oil on, Mount, on, on Aaron's head is a picture of God's special blessing on him his consecration to the priesthood. Now, what it's saying is this. Look, fellowship serves a priestly function. What does that mean? It means that as the, in the same way that the priest brought the people into a life with God, the consecrated priest was the anointed one to bring God's people into fellowship so when we are together, it's like that. It's like we're bringing each other to God. God already has a fellowship. He already has a participation. He already has a membership within Himself. Father, Son, and Spirit. And when we trust in Christ, we we become, first Peter tells us, partakers of the divine nature. We become part of that membership. The only reason that we're able to have that membership is because of our union with Christ. When we are united with Christ, we have the love of God. We have the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And it's not just a unity within the Godhead and then we're on the outside. We're brought into that unity. This is how 1 John tells us. This is what John says in 1 John 1 that which we have seen and we heard and proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship. Koinonia, generosity, shared life. You may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. You see, Christ, the anointed priest, And also the sacrifice brings us into the fellowship of God. And when we are together with each other, we share in that same membership. And we're all brought into the presence of God. It cultivates a life with God because of the way that God has shown himself. He has consecrated his priest. And now we have Christ, the great high priest, who brings us into fellowship with God. There's the oil of consecration. And then there is the dew of the resurrection. This is a very cool passage in Isaiah 26, one I'm guessing you haven't meditated on, but this is an amazing picture. Isaiah says this Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in dust, awake and sing for joy, for your dew is the dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. As the Scripture unfolds before us, we see that in a way, this picture that Isaiah promises is God's final blessing on the world is like a water of life coming to the earth. And like the water comes to Mount Zion and the the plants that have shriveled up and died and gone back into into the ground they sprout again because of the dew of Hermon. So God, when He comes to water the earth, people will sprout. The dead will be raised because of His gracious dew that He gives to the earth. And He brings us into what the final picture here is of the commanded blessing, namely, life forever. You see, The resurrection and heaven are not solitary places where we individually enjoy all the things that we individually love. They are places where we experience the membership, the fellowship of God with others forever. God commands this blessing, life forever with his people, but he commands it now. What we cultivate now continues into eternity. The fellowship that we have is now and later. So how do we have this fellowship? How do we participate in the membership? There's a number of things that we could say to challenge us. Uh, We could talk about the role of technology, which is an important thing to think about. How is technology keeping us from relationships We need to talk about how to stop flaking and bailing on other people. This is so common that we don't participate in the membership of being with one another by by just opting out of things. We talk about the command in Scripture to come to church. Hebrews 10, do not neglect the gathering together of God's people. All those things are true, but what I want to close with is something a little bit of upstream of that a challenge to us that that really affects all those other things. And the challenge is this. It's the way that the scriptures talk about fellowship and the way that we talk about fellowship. They're different oftentimes. One significant mindset that needs to happen for us is that we need to shift away from thinking about the fellowship as a possibility and rather as a reality. What do I mean by that? Sometimes we say things like this I hope I find community. I wish that I had more fellowship. Now, it's not wrong to pray for specific friendships, for specific seasons of your life, for for specific things that God might bless you with those things. That's not at all what I'm saying. But sometimes the way that we talk about that can blind us to this truth there is a fellowship. Fellowship is not a possibility, it is a reality. As we close, let me show you this in the Bible, in Bonhoeffer, in Wendell Berry, and in Tolkien. (laughs) It'll be quick. Start with the Bible. Thank you. I needed that. The fellowship, koinonia, we talked about it in the New Testament, is a reality in Scripture. Look at Acts chapter 2. The, the birth of the New Testament church where you know, the Spirit of God rested over the people of God and they, they went out and they were the church together. And it says they committed themselves. They devoted themselves to the teaching and to the fellowship. It's like the same thing as teaching. It's like it's this thing that the apostles teaching. We, we got to learn that. And then the fellowship was also a thing. They didn't create it. They didn't try to find it. They participated in it. The fellowship is what is created wherever God's word is, is proclaimed. It's not a, look at, look at Psalm 133 here. This is the reality. They, they're finding life together as they go in towards Zion. It's like, oh yeah, th- these are the people that God has called. It's a reality. It's not a possibility. Let's go to Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Wrote a great book. I commend everyone to read it. Life together. He says this, Christian brotherhood is not an ideal to which we, uh, an ideal which we must realize it is rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. The person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. But the person who loves those around them will create community. You see what Bonhoeffer's saying there? It's not an ideal that then we hope to to find. It's actually a reality, and we actually are already somewhere. All of us in this room are somewhere. We go to some church. We live in some neighborhood. We don't choose who our neighbors are. We might at the beginning, but wherever we then land or where, where we are. It's a reality. Our neighbors are our neighbors. This is more to the truth than what we sometimes think about. Wendell Berry, I already mentioned him, in the membership of Kentucky. One of the characters, Burley Coulter, um, in one of his short stories says this. He's talking about the membership of, of Port William. He says, the way we are, we are members of each other. All of us, everything. The difference ain't in who is a member and who is not, but in who knows it and who don't. You see what he's saying? We are Port William. This is the membership that we have with one another. Whether you realize it or not, There is a member, we're connected to one another. When I do something over here, it affects this person over here. It's a reality, not an ideal. Finally, in Tolkien, the Fellowship of the Ring. You ever notice how that came about? Did they choose the Fellowship? Did they figure out the the ideal party of nine people to go throw the ring in Mount Doom? It's where they were. Now, maybe there was a grand design. Maybe there was a God. Maybe there was a narrator, Tolkien, who, who knew the themes that he wanted to cultivate. It's not unlike the situation that we find ourselves in. Maybe there is an end that God has created us for. But the fellowship is what is. The hobbit is not the ideal person to take the, the ring, but, but then it proves that actually he is. And the dwarf and the elf don't want to be together. But then they, they find there's a bond and friendship that comes from their differences. They didn't choose this team. The team was what was or what was given or what was discovered. This means there is already a shared life around each one of us. There is already a reality of fellowship because wherever God's word is and where his church is, there is a fellowship. There is a participation. It's not whether we can find it. The question then becomes, how do we enter into it? How do we participate? How do we move and shape our lives so that we are experiencing the joy, the growth, and the life with God that is meant to be together as he intended it. Let's pray.